0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the second in our podcast series, Driving DEI. Today, we'll be covering the FCA's recent consultation paper on diversity and inclusion. My name is Simon Lovegrove, Global Director of Financial Services Knowledge here at Morton Rose Fulbright. And today, I'm joined by Hannah McCaslin-Shafe, Council in our London Financial Services Group. So to set the scene, our first podcast Described in broad terms, the PRA's and FCA's consultation proposals. But today, we're going to drill down a little bit further on the FCA's proposals, including asking ourselves what firms should be doing now. I want to start with DNI policies, or what the FCA now calls DNI strategies, primarily because, according to the FCA's cost-benefit analysis, this will present significant one-off costs for firms. And to begin with, why do you think that is?
1: Thanks, Simon. Yes, so as we mentioned on our previous podcast, the FCA is looking for firms other than limited scope SMCR firms and small solo regulated firms to develop an evidence-based D and I strategy. Some firms may not have a diversity or inclusion policy already in place, so we'll need to create something from scratch. Other firms, those that have already have a DI policy in place, will need to review it and update it accordingly. Many of our listeners would have picked up on the comment that the FCA made in its consultation paper, warning that many firms' diversity and inclusion policies failed to clearly explain the DNI strategy's purpose and lack sufficient detail on how the firm intended to achieve its aims. So the message is clear for many firms. You may already have a DNI strategy, but you probably need to upgrade it.
0: Thanks, Hannah. But it doesn't stop at upgrading it, does it?
1: No, Simon, certainly not. It, it's meant to be a living document. The SCA expects it to be updated from time to time. Um, the regulator isn't proposing to prescribe how frequently firms should update their DNI policy, and instead, it said that firms need to be satisfied that they remain fit for purpose. The important point to remember here is that the DNI strategy is a key document. The FCA will review them when assessing how firms are identifying, monitoring and taking steps to address issues they or the FCA have identified. Not only that, the DNI DNA strategy will also be made accessible, something that current and potential employers, investors, suppliers, consumers and the public can look at. So it's really important to keep it up to date.
0: OK, thanks, Hannah. Uh, as my second question, what, if anything, would you suggest that firms should do at the moment?
1: Thanks, Simon. That that's a really interesting one. We only have the consultation papers at the moment. The rules aren't final. However, it may be that for those firms who don't already have a DNI strategy in place, those those firms might want to start thinking about how one would look in mind of the FCA proposals. Obviously, here there is a question about what process you put in place and what resources you need to create a DNI strategy. For those firms that already have a DNI strategy, perhaps thinking about how the current policy looks against the FCA's proposals and rules, um, asking yourself critically: Does the policy explain things clearly and is it up to date? In other words, firms might want to start doing a, a gap analysis of sorts.
0: Okay, thanks. Now, another area where the FCA sees significant one-off costs arising is in relation to data. For large firms, the FCA estimates average one-off costs of. Just over twenty nine thousand for data disclosure, and uh, just over thirty three thousand for data reporting. That seems a lot, Hannah.
1: Yes, Simon, I agree. And we touched on the scope of data reporting obligations in our earlier podcast, where we looked at the mandatory and voluntary buckets of reporting data. The key here is that firms should collect and report DNI data, as this will help drive improvements in the sector. However, there have been concerns from firms about being given enough time to implement or update their systems. And there have also been concerns about getting employees providing data to their employers. At the moment, the FCA is proposing that large firms report annually, which is more frequent than the Single Resolution Authority and the EBA, which ask for data every two or three years, respectively. And the FCA knows that this will be more costly to firms, noting that reporting data every year rather than every two or three years increases firms' ongoing costs by 8%. However, the FCA's view is that it is acceptable, arguing that the data it will receive will be more accurate.
0: Okay, thanks. And you also mentioned concerns regarding time.
1: Yes, that's right. And the FCA has come up with some interesting proposals here. The final rules would come into force 12 months after the date of their publication, and the data to be reported would be by reference to this date the reporting window would open the day after the the reference date and close three months later. The FCA gives the example that if the final rules were published on, for example, the 1st of March 2024, the first reporting reference date would be the 1st of March 2025, and firms would have until the 2nd of June 2025 to submit their data. So we're we're talking probably about a year and a half ish until the likely first date around, but appreciate that that many firms will need to do a lot between now and then.
0: Okay, understood. And I also remember seeing something about a transitional period.
1: Yeah, completely right, Simon. So the FCA is proposing a transitional regime so that the first reporting cycle would be on a comply or explain basis. And that's a term listeners may well be familiar with from from other pieces of legislation. So what this means is that firms should that are unable to submit all the required data in the first reporting period would need to explain to the regulator why that's not, it hasn't been possible, and set out the steps they're taking to ensure that they will be able to support a complete report when required. In this first cycle, the FCA would encourage firms to submit whatever data they have available, even if it's incomplete. Large firms, however, would be required to submit a complete report in the second reporting cycle.
0: Okay, let's just quickly turn to data disclosure. Requirements for firms to publicly disclose certain aggregated diversity data on their senior management and employees?
1: Yes, Simon. So, in terms of frequency, like the reporting to the regulator, it's annually. And in terms of content, the proposal is for firms to disclose the same information that they report to the regulator, but by reference to percentages rather than whole numbers. There are some privacy concerns regarding all of this, which is the FCA consultation touches on. Um, Also, like reporting, the FCA proposes that its rules come into force 12 months after they've been published. Disclosures should then be made either at the same time the firm publishes its annual reports or accounts, or for firms that do not publish annual reports or accounts within six months of the end of their financial year. In the first year of the rules being in force, firms can make their disclosures on a voluntary basis. From the following year onwards, disclosures are mandatory for all in-scope firms.
0: Okay, thank you. Um, Where do you think the pressure points may arise from a cost perspective?
1: Uh, Thanks, Simon. a A really good question. So I think probably in relation to updating internal systems to collect the information. So if a firm is lacking in this respect, consideration will need to be given as to what steps are needed to get them where they need to be. So perhaps a good idea when we're thinking about what firms might want to be doing now is to start thinking about the data they currently collect and see how it fares against the DNI metrics that are being proposed by the FCA for reporting and data disclosure. This should then help the firm to understand what changes they might need to make to their systems and processes. Some firms may choose to wait to see what the final rules look like but I think that making some sort of start on this now will prove beneficial in the long term as a firm will get a good idea as to where they currently stand and what, if any, serious gaps they face.
0: Okay, understood. So let's move now on to training. It's noticeable uh, that the SCA isn't proposing to mandate a training requirement, but there will of course be costs arising from the need to familiarise employees with the changes that will need to be made. There are many ways in which training can be delivered, including formal classroom training, online learning, et cetera.
1: Yes, training will be important in all of this. If you look at the FCA's multi-firm review on understanding d approaches, which was published last December, there was some interesting commentary regarding over-reliance on training and learning hubs and noting that these alone won't bring the kind of systemic change that the FCA is looking for. However, the FCA's consultation paper's cost-benefit analysis Contains some interesting commentary, noting that in an earlier survey, firms attributed training to between 70 and 100 percent of their cost estimates. As a general observation, particularly in light of the various training sessions that we've done with firms, is that training sessions need to be meaningful, not simply going through the motions and tailored to appropriate staff, staff levels. There will also, of course, be need for board level training. And that also links to, to governance, which is another important theme in, this, in all of this.
0: I agree with that. You can't underestimate how helpful tailored training sessions are. Um, when do you think training should start?
1: That That's another good question, Simon. So some firms will want to get ahead and might seek training on the FCA's proposals, whereas others might be content to wait until the final rules are published. So it really really is quite firm dependent, but, but I expect we will see some firms beginning the training process in earnest.
0: Uh, I agree with that. And, and as my final question, I just wanted to focus on risk and governance, which you, you touched on a moment ago. Um, and we also touched on it in our first podcast. But I wanted to raise it here as the FCA is expecting, on average, one-off costs for large firms of around just over £36,000.
1: Yeah, there, there are a couple of things to pick up on here. So the FCA proposes to introduce new guidance for large firms to make clear that matters relating to DNI are to be considered as a non-financial risk and treated appropriately within the firm's governance structures. This is interesting as perhaps firms should start thinking now about how they can include non-financial misconduct considerations into their current processes. The board is also to be responsible for the maintenance and oversight of the firm's DNI strategy, and this will need to be reviewed to ensure it remains appropriate and effective. Given the flexibility, perhaps another thing that firms should be thinking about is how this review may be built into cyclical reviews of their people and operating strategies, and then what sort of incremental updates need to be applied.
0: Thank you, that's helpful. And indeed, the review of people and operating strategies is important, as the FCA is asking firms to consider how a range of functions can contribute to progress on DNI. I also think the FTA in its consultation paper provided an example.
1: Y- yes, it, it gives the example of risk functions considering potential risks stemming from a lack of d such as increased groupthink and poor decision-making affecting outcomes for consumers and markets. Support functions, including HR, conduct specialists and others, can also help firms embed d practices, monitor progress against targets and crucially identify areas for targeted interventions.
0: Okay. Uh, Many thanks, Hannah, for sharing your thoughts today. That's been very, very helpful. And this concludes the second podcast in our series, Driving D, E, and I. In our next podcast, we will probably take a closer look at the proposals impacting individual accountability, something that all board members will be keen to learn more about. We will, of course, also continue track developments on our Regulation Tomorrow blog. Many thanks for listening. Goodbye.